Chapter Twelve, Part Two of Jacob's Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Jacob's Room by Virginia Woolf. Chapter Twelve, Part Two. How very English! Sandra laughed when the waiter told them next morning that the young gentleman had left at five to climb the mountain. I'm sure he asked you for a bath, at which the waiter shook his head and said that he would ask the manager. You do not understand, laughed Sandra. Never mind. Stretched on the top of the mountain quite alone, Jacob enjoyed himself immensely. Probably he had never been so happy in the whole of his life. But at dinner that night, Mr. Williams asked him whether he would like to see the paper. Then Mrs. Williams asked him, as they strolled on the terrace smoking, and how could he refuse that man's cigar, whether he'd seen the theatre by moonlight, whether he knew Everard Sherborne, whether he read Greek, and whether, Evan rose silently and went in, if he had to sacrifice one, it would be the French literature or the Russian. And now, wrote Jacob in his letter to Bonamy, I shall have to read her cursed book, her Chekhov, he meant, for she had lent it to him. Though the opinion is unpopular, it seems likely enough that bare places, fields too thick with stones to be ploughed, tossing sea-meadows halfway between England and America, suit us better than cities. There is something absolute in us which despises qualification. It is this which is teased and twisted in society. People come together in a room, so delighted, says somebody, to meet you, and that is a lie. And then, I enjoy the spring more than the autumn now. One does, I think, as one gets older, for women are always, always, always talking about what one feels, and if they say, as one gets older, they mean you to reply with something quite off the point. Jacob sat himself down in the quarry where the Greeks had cut marble for the theatre, it is hot work walking up Greek hills at midday. The wild red cyclamen was out. He had seen the little tortoises hobbling from clump to clump. The air smelt strong and suddenly sweet, and the sun, striking on jagged splinters of marble, was very dazzling to the eyes. Composed, commanding, contemptuous, a little melancholy, and bored with an august kind of boredom, there he sat smoking his pipe. Bonamy would have said that this was the sort of thing that made him uneasy when Jacob got into the doldrums, looked like a Margate fisherman out of a job or a British admiral. You couldn't make him understand a thing when he was in a mood like that. One had better leave him alone. He was dull. He was apt to be grumpy. He was up very early, looking at the statues with his Baedeker. Sandra Wentworth Williams, ranging the world before breakfast in quest of adventure or a point of view, all in white, not so very tall, perhaps, but uncommonly upright. Sandra Williams got Jacob's head exactly on the level with the head of the Hermes of Praxiteles. The comparison was all in his favor. But before she could say a single word, he had gone out of the museum and left her. Still, a lady of fashion travels with more than one dress, and if white suits the morning hour, perhaps sandy yellow with purple spots on it, a black hat, and a volume of Balzac suit the evening. 
thus she was arranged on the terrace when jacob came in very beautiful she looked with her hands folded she mused seemed to listen to her husband seemed to watch the peasants coming down with brushwood on their backs seemed to notice how the hill changed from blue to black seemed to discriminate between truth and falsehood jacob thought and crossed his legs suddenly observing the extreme shabbiness of his trousers but he is very distinguished-looking sandra decided and evan williams lying back in his chair with the paper on his knees envied them the best thing he could do would be to publish with macmillan's his monograph upon the foreign policy of chatham but confound this humid queasy feeling this restlessness swelling and heat it was jealousy 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 which he had sworn never to feel again come with us to corinth flanders he said with more than his usual energy stopping by jacob's chair he was relieved by jacob's reply or rather by the solid direct if shy manner in which he said that he would like very much to come with them to corinth here is a fellow thought evan williams who might do very well in politics i intend to come to greece every year so long as i live jacob wrote to bonamy it is the only chance i can see of protecting myself from civilization goodness knows what he means by that bonamy sighed for as he never said a clumsy thing himself these dark sayings of jacob's made him feel apprehensive yet somehow impressed his own turn being all for the definite the concrete and the rational nothing could be much simpler than what sandra said as she descended the acro corinth keeping to the little path while jacob strode over rougher ground by her side she had been left motherless at the age of four and the park was vast one never seemed able to get out of it she laughed of course there was the library and dear mr jones and notions about things i used to stray into the kitchen and sit upon the butler's knees she laughed sadly though jacob thought that if he had been there he would have saved her for she had been exposed to great dangers he felt and he thought to himself people wouldn't understand a woman talking as she talks she made little of the roughness of the hill and wore breeches he saw under her short skirts women like fanny elmer don't he thought what's her name carslake didn't yet they pretend mrs williams said things straight out he was surprised by his own knowledge of the rules of behavior how much more can be said than one thought how open one can be with a woman and how little he had known himself before evan joined them on the road and as they drove along uphill and downhill for greece is in a state of effervescence yet astonishingly clean-cut a treeless land where you see the ground between the blades each hill cut and shaped and outlined as often as not against sparkling deep blue waters islands white as sand floating on the horizon occasional groves of palm trees standing in the valleys which are scattered with black goats spotted with little olive trees and sometimes have white hollows rayed and criss-crossed in their flanks as they drove uphill and down he scowled in the corner of the carriage with his paw so tightly closed that the skin was stretched between the knuckles and the little hairs stood upright sandra rode opposite dominant like a victory prepared to fling into the air heartless thought evan 
which was untrue. Brainless, he suspected, and that was not true either. Still, he envied her. When bedtime came, the difficulty was to write to Bonamy, Jacob found. Yet he had seen Salamis and Marathon in the distance. Poor old Bonamy. No, there was something queer about it. He could not write to Bonamy. I shall go to Athens all the same, he resolved, looking very set, with this hook dragging in his side. The Williamses had already been to Athens. Athens is still quite capable of striking a young man as the oddest combination, the most incongruous assortment. Now it is suburban, now immortal. Now cheap continental jewelry is laid upon plush trays. Now the stately woman stands naked, save for a wave of drapery above the knee. No form can he set on his sensations as he strolls one blazing afternoon along the Parisian boulevard and skips out of the way of the royal landau, which, looking indescribably ramshackle, rattles along the pitted roadway, saluted by citizens of both sexes, cheaply dressed in bowler hats and continental costumes, though a shepherd in kilt, cap, and gaiters very nearly drives his herd of goats between the royal wheels. And all the time the Acropolis surges into the air, raises itself above the town like a large immobile wave with the yellow columns of the Parthenon firmly planted upon it. The yellow columns of the Parthenon are to be seen at all hours of the day firmly planted upon the Acropolis, though at sunset, when the ships in the Piraeus fire their guns, a bell rings, a man in uniform, the waistcoat unbuttoned, appears, and the women roll up the black stockings which they are knitting in the shadow of the columns, call to the children, and troop off down the hill back to their houses. There they are again, the pillars, the pediment, the temple of victory, and the erechtheum, set on a tawny rock cleft with shadows, directly you unlatch your shutters in the morning, and leaning out, hear the clatter, the clamor, the whip cracking in the street below. There they are. The extreme definiteness with which they stand, now a brilliant white, again yellow, and in some lights red, imposes ideas of durability, of the emergence through the earth, of some spiritual energy elsewhere dissipated in elegant trifles. But this durability exists quite independently of our admiration. Although the beauty is sufficiently humane to weaken us, to stir the deep deposit of mud, memories, abandonments, regrets, sentimental devotions. The Parthenon is separate from all that, and if you consider how it has stood out all night for centuries, you begin to connect the blaze, at midday the glare is dazzling and the frieze almost invisible, with the idea that perhaps it is beauty alone that is immortal. Added to this, compared with the blistered stucco, the new love songs rasp out to the strum of guitar and gramophone, and the mobile yet insignificant faces of the street, the Parthenon is really astonishing in its silent composure, which is so vigorous that far from being decayed, the Parthenon appears, on the contrary, likely to outlast the entire world. And the Greeks, like sensible men, never bothered to finish the backs of their statues, said Jacob, shading his eyes and observing that the side of the figure which is turned away from view is left in the rough. 
he noted the slight irregularity in the line of the steps which the artistic sense of the greeks preferred to mathematical accuracy he read in his guide-book he stood on the exact spot where the great statue of athena used to stand and identified the more famous landmarks of the scene beneath in short he was accurate and diligent but profoundly morose moreover he was pestered by guides this was on monday but on wednesday he wrote a telegram to bonamy telling him to come at once and then he crumpled it in his hand and threw it in the gutter for one thing he wouldn't come he thought and then i dare say this sort of thing wears off this sort of thing being that uneasy painful feeling something like selfishness one wishes almost that the thing would stop it is getting more and more beyond what is possible if it goes on much longer i shan't be able to cope with it but if someone else were seeing it at the same time bonamy is stuffed in his room in lincoln's inn oh i say damn it all i say the sight of hymettus pentelicus lycabettus on one side and the sea on the other as one stands in the parthenon at sunset the sky pink feathered the plain all colours the marble tawny in one's eyes is thus oppressive luckily jacob had little sense of personal association he seldom thought of plato or socrates in the flesh on the other hand his feeling for architecture was very strong he preferred statues to pictures and he was beginning to think a great deal about the problems of civilization which were solved of course so very remarkably by the ancient greeks though their solution is no help to us then the hook gave a great tug in his side as he lay in bed on wednesday night and he turned over with a desperate sort of tumble remembering sandra wentworth williams with whom he was in love next day he climbed pentelicus the day after he went to the acropolis the hour was early the place almost deserted and possibly there was thunder in the air but the sun struck full upon the acropolis jacob's intention was to sit down and read and finding a drum of marble conveniently placed from which marathon could be seen and yet it was in the shade while the erechtheum blazed white in front of him there he sat and after reading a page he put his thumb in his book why not rule countries in the way they should be ruled and he read again no doubt his position there overlooking marathon somehow raised his spirits or it may have been that a slow capacious brain has these moments of flowering or he had insensibly while he was abroad got into the way of thinking about politics and then looking up and seeing the sharp outline his meditations were given an extraordinary edge greece was over the parthenon in ruins yet there he was ladies with green and white umbrellas passed through the courtyard french ladies on their way to join their husbands in constantinople jacob read on again and laying the book on the ground he began as if inspired by what he had read to write a note upon the importance of history upon democracy one of those scribbles upon which the work of a lifetime may be based or again it falls out of a book twenty years later and one can't remember a word of it it is a little painful it had better be burnt jacob wrote began to draw a straight nose when all the french ladies opening and shutting their umbrellas just beneath him exclaimed looking at the sky that one did not know what to expect rain or fine weather 
Jacob got up and strolled across to the Erechtheum. There are still several women standing there holding the roof on their heads. Jacob straightened himself slightly, for stability and balance affect the body first. These statues indulge things so. He stared at them, then turned, and there was Madame Lucian Grave perched on a block of marble with her Kodak pointed at his head. Of course she jumped down, in spite of her age, her figure, and her tight boots, having, now that her daughter was married, lapsed with a luxurious abandonment, grand enough in its way, into the fleshy grotesque. She jumped down, but not before Jacob had seen her. Damn these women! Damn these women! he thought, and he went to fetch his book, which he had left lying on the ground in the Parthenon. How they spoil things! he murmured leaning against one of the pillars, pressing his book tight between his arm and his side. As for the weather, no doubt the storm would break soon. Athens was under cloud. "'It is those damned women,' said Jacob, without any trace of bitterness, but rather with sadness and disappointment, that what might have been should never be. This violent disillusionment is generally to be expected in young men in the prime of life. Sound of wind and limb, who will soon become fathers of families and directors of banks. Then, making sure that the Frenchwomen had gone, and looking cautiously round him, Jacob strolled over to the Erechtheum, and looked rather furtively at the goddess on the left-hand side holding the roof on her head. She reminded him of Sandra Wentworth Williams. He looked at her, then looked away. He looked at her, then looked away. He was extraordinarily moved, and with the battered Greek nose in his head, with Sandra in his head, with all sorts of things in his head, off he started to walk right up to the top of Mount Hymettus, alone in the heat. That very afternoon, Bonamy went expressly to talk about Jacob to tea with Clara Durant in the square behind Sloane Street, where, on hot spring days, there are striped blinds over the front windows single horses pawing the macadam outside the doors, an elderly gentleman in yellow waistcoats ringing bells and stepping in very politely when the maid demurely replies that Mrs. Durant is at home. Bonamy sat with Clara in the sunny front room with the barrel organ piping sweetly outside, the water-cart going slowly along, spraying the pavement, the carriages jingling, and all the silver and chintz, brown and blue rugs, and vases filled with green boughs, striped with trembling yellow bars. The insipidity of what was said needs no illustration. Bonamy kept on gently returning quiet answers, and accumulating amazement at an existence squeezed and emasculated within a white satin shoe. Mrs. Durant, meanwhile, enunciating strident politics with Sir Somebody in the back room, until the virginity of Clara's soul appeared to him candid, the depths unknown, and he would have brought out Jacob's name had he not begun to feel positively certain that Clara loved him, and could do nothing whatever. Nothing whatever, he exclaimed, as the door shut, and for a man of his temperament got a very queer feeling, as he walked through the park, of carriages irresistibly driven, of flower-beds uncompromisingly geometrical a force rushing round geometrical patterns in the most senseless way in the world. Was Clara, he thought, pausing to watch the boys bathing in the serpentine, the silent woman? Would Jacob marry her? 
but in athens in the sunshine in athens where it is almost impossible to get afternoon tea and elderly gentlemen who talk politics talk them all the other way round in athens sat sandra wentworth williams veiled in white her legs stretched in front of her one elbow on the arm of the bamboo chair blue clouds wavering and drifting from her cigarette the orange trees which flourish in the square of the constitution the band the dragging of feet the sky the houses lemon and rose-coloured all this became so significant to mrs wentworth williams after her second cup of coffee that she began dramatizing the story of the noble and impulsive englishwoman who had offered a seat in her carriage to the old american lady at mycenae mrs dugan not altogether a false story though it said nothing of evan standing first on one foot then on the other waiting for the women to stop chattering i am putting the life of father damien into verse mrs dugan had said for she had lost everything everything in the world husband and child and everything but faith remained sandra floating from the particular to the universal lay back in a trance the flight of time which hurries us so tragically along the eternal drudge and drone now bursting into fiery flame like those brief balls of yellow among green leaves she was looking at orange trees kisses on lips that are to die the world turning turning in mazes of heat and sound though to be sure there is the quiet evening with its lovely pallor for i am sensitive to every side of it sandra thought and mrs dugan will write to me for ever and i shall answer her letters now the royal band marching by with the national flag stirred wider rings of emotion and life became something that the courageous mount and ride out to see on the hair blown back so she envisioned it and the breeze stirred slightly among the orange trees and she herself was emerging from silver spray when she saw jacob he was standing in the square with a book under his arm looking vacantly about him that he was heavily built and might become stout in time was a fact but she suspected him of being a mere bumpkin there is that young man she said peevishly throwing away her cigarette that mr flanders where said evan i don't see him oh walking away behind the trees now no you can't see him but we are sure to run into him which of course they did but how far was he a mere bumpkin how far was jacob flanders at the age of twenty-six a stupid fellow it is no use trying to sum people up one must follow hints not exactly what is said nor yet entirely what is done some it is true take ineffaceable impressions of character at once others dally loiter and get blown this way and that kind old ladies assure us that cats are often the best judges of character a cat will always go to a good man they say but then mrs whitehorn jacob's landlady loathed cats there is also the highly respectable opinion that character-mongering is much overdone nowadays after all what does it matter that fanny elmer is all sentiment and sensation and mrs durant hard as iron that clara owing so the character-monger said largely to her mother's influence never yet had the chance to do anything off her own bat 
and only to very observant eyes displayed deeps of feeling which were positively alarming and would certainly throw herself away upon some one unworthy of her one of these days unless so the character monger said she had a spark of her mother's spirit in her was somehow heroic but what a term to apply to clara durant simple to a degree others thought her and that is the very reason so they said why she attracts dick bonamy the young man with the wellington nose now he's a dark horse if you like and there these gossips would suddenly pause obviously they meant to hint at his peculiar disposition long rumoured among them but sometimes it is precisely a woman like clara that men of that temperament need miss julia elliot would hint well mr bowley would reply it may be so for however long these gossips sit and however they stuff out their victims characters till they are swollen and tender as the livers of geese exposed to a hot fire they never come to a decision that young man jacob flanders they would say so distinguished-looking and yet so awkward then they would apply themselves to jacob and vacillate eternally between the two extremes he rode to hounds after a fashion for he hasn't a penny did you ever hear who his father was asked julia elliot his mother they say is somehow connected with the roxbyers replied mr bowley he doesn't overwork himself anyhow his friends are very fond of him dick bonamy you mean no i didn't mean that it's evidently the other way with jacob he is precisely the young man to fall headlong in love and repent it for the rest of his life oh mr bowley said mrs durant sweeping down upon them in her imperious manner you remember mrs adams well this is her niece and mr bowley getting up bowed politely and fetched strawberries so we are driven back to see what the other side means the men in clubs and cabinets when they say that character drawing is a frivolous fireside art a matter of pins and needles exquisite outlines enclosing vacancy flourishes and mere scrawls End of chapter twelve part two